day of the year? Man, I, that's, that's, that's tough. All right, so where did Valentine's Day come from? <clears throat> As the legend goes, Emperor Claudius II decided that single men were better, than, were better soldiers than married men and, so, and men with families, and so he outlawed marriage for soldiers. Well, Valentine's calling, and that's our topic today, his calling was to be a godly priest, and he thought that was not a biblical position, and so he disobeyed Claudius and continued to perform marriages in secret. When Claudius found out, he ordered Valentine to be put to death on February 14th. Now, the legend grew year over the years, as it does. This was back from the third century, so history is a little murky on this. But the legend grows, and he became known as the saint of love, all the way up to the card-writing, flower-buying, candy-eating holiday that we have today. And, uh, you know, when we go back in history and we look at these men and women uh, who these legends grow from, oftentimes, as in the case of Valentine, we discovered that they were faithful men of God and women of God who believed Jesus and who honestly would be uh, rather befuddled at what came of their legend. But <clears throat> these are just normal people who were faithful to God's calling in their lives. That's it, and that's our topic today is our calling, our calling. The good news is that God continues calling us to do his great work. People like you and me are his number one method for blessing the world and moving the world to freedom that he has in store. We'll learn a lot today by looking at how God called Moses. And if you haven't taken out your sermon notes yet uh, from your bulletin and open your Bibles to Exodus 3, I'd encourage you to do those things to get ready. Uh, we've got a Chapters 3 and 4 is an exciting passage. Here's Chris. If you didn't get a, a bulletin with sermon notes, raise your hand, and he'll get those for you. All right. And here's the big idea for the day that I want you to take away. It is that God calls all of us. He calls all of us in special ways to do things for his kingdom that no one else could do but you. God graciously uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will by his power and for his glory and for the world's good. And he does this because of who he is, not because of who we are. Those are the things to keep in mind as we start off in this text, Exodus 3 and 4. Now, we last left off the story in Exodus chapter 2 in the big story of God's universe that the Bible goes right through and that we are still living in today. We left off at the end of Exodus 2 with Israel crying out with groans to God because they were in slavery and oppression of every kind. And they cried out to God. And we learned that's our first step with whatever we're going through in life. It's to pray, is to cry out to God. And he hears. Oh, he heard them. And we'll continue to see that. And he responds by raising up deliverers. And we saw that those deliverers are us, you and me in this world that we live in today. In today's part of the story, he calls his deliverer the very imperfect man, Moses. And we understand our calling from God by looking at Moses' interaction with God today. And we're going to see in Moses' story how to discern God's calling in our lives, how to respond, and how to get started. So let's jump in. And the first point of that is how to discern God's calling. That means how to recognize God's calling for me, 
for you, for your family. And the first thing we'll see in the first six verses is that God reveals himself. He does. He wants to be known. He reveals himself to humans, and we just need to have eyes to see it. So let's develop those eyes right now. Chapter 3 begins by setting the scene in verse 1, which says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, Remember, he was in exile. He ran away from Egypt. He was far away in Midian. He'd become a shepherd, hiding from Pharaoh for all these years. So here he is. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the, mount, the mountain of God. So here's, here's Moses. He's being a shepherd. That's his thing. And he leads the flock, and he comes to Mount Horeb, which he says is the mountain of God. Now, it was a good time to remind us or to point out in case you didn't know, is that Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We call it the Pentateuch. Jews call it the Torah. And he wrote these books over the course of at least 40 years, and he puts them all together. Now check this out. Why does he call Horeb the mountain of God? Because as, as he wrote this, he knew what a special place Mount Horeb was going to become. Mount Sinai the place where he would meet God in person and receive the Ten Commandments. So here at the beginning of Moses' calling, at the very beginning, God is drawing him here to that special place with a flock of sheep, and then bang, verses 2 through 4 happen. Let's read those. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, he had his attention, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Now here is a a unique interaction with God. In this case, it's called the angel of the Lord. Theologians call this a theophany, when there's a visible appearance of of the invisible God. And there's theological reason to believe that anytime you see in the Old Testament the angel of the Lord appearing, that that is the pre-incarnate Christ. He's very active in the Old Testament. And here he is, the word speaker of God who has appeared in the Old Testament, he claims in the New Testament. And isn't that just cool that Moses could be talking to Jesus here? Well, Moses was initially drawn in by the fiery bush that didn't burn up. Here's a picture just so we can help get our minds in the scene with Moses. But he realized quickly that it was was God. And we will see fire representing God as we go through Exodus and then as you go through all of the Bible. In Exodus, God leads the nation of Israel in a pillar of fire. And then there's fire at the tabernacle. In Deuteronomy, Moses will write, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. In Acts chapter 2, God begins his church with something like flaming tongues of fire. You know, we're all drawn to fire and amazed by fire. But we also tell our children, you respect that fire. Don't play with fire. Fire is to be taken seriously. And so it is with the holy God. God called Moses from out of that fiery bush by name, Moses, Moses. 
And God calls people that same way. He called Samuel that same way. He called Isaiah that same way. Jesus called his disciples that same way. He called up to Zacchaeus in the tree by name. And guess what? He calls all of us by name too. First Peter 2.9 says, God called us by name out of darkness into his marvelous light to worship him. God calls us. And then, okay, so he's got Moses' attention. What happens next? Verses 5 and 6. Then he said, do not come here, take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground, because that's where God's presence was. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So what happens there? Taking off the sandals because it's holy ground, this is a, a, a symbol of respect and reverence, still happens today, and Places like Japan and other countries of the world, we get that. So he takes his sandals off, and then God introduces himself to Moses. I am the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I am the God of the covenant that I made with your people, never to leave you, never to forsake you. And now notice he did not say, I was God of these people. He said, I am the God of these people. And that indicates that God's people never really die. What we have to understand in anthropology and who we are as humans is that we are not bodies with a soul. We are souls, eternal souls, with bodies. And when these bodies die, we live on for eternity. And Jesus, in proving his resurrection after he rose from the dead, quoted this verse right here in Mark chapter 12, verses 26 through 27, when Jesus said, haven't you read in the passage about the burning bush? He is not God of the, of the dead, but of the living. And so we're learning about who we're developing this relationship between God and humans. And where does a relationship start? By exchanging names. And now God and Moses have exchanged names. Hey, Moses, I'm God. All right, you're Moses. When Moses met God, he stared into the raw power of God, and it was terrifying to him, so he turned his back. He felt unworthy. He knew that it was powerful. He was both in terror and in reverence. But I also want to point out that now, as we're meeting God and developing a relationship with God, we don't have to stand in terror before God, a holy reverence to be sure, but terror, no, because in Christ, once we put our faith in Christ and he gives us a new life and a new nature, he clothes us in his righteousness, and now God looks at us as he does his son Jesus. And that's comforting. So have you met Jesus yet? Have you trusted him and been given his new life and clothed in his righteousness? That's a good question for you to think about right now as we're talking about this relationship with God on this side of the cross. Well, there are countless ways that God orchestrates our lives to hear about Jesus and to meet Jesus and to be made spiritually alive by coming to faith in him. We're watching Moses' story, but I want you all to keep connecting your story with what we're about to see. So that first point was that God reveals himself to us, and he does. He reveals himself to us, and he calls us to salvation in Jesus Christ. We just need to receive him. And once we do, then God reveals his plan to us. Verses 7 through 10. God reveals himself, then he reveals His plan. Let's read these verses, 7 through 10. 
All right. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. In these verses, we see God's motives. And if you remember this from two weeks ago, his motives for moving the world to freedom are when we cry out. And he has declared that to Moses. I have seen my people cry out in their suffering. And he hears us when we cry out. He also just reveals his purpose there. His purpose is to move them to freedom out of slavery of any kind that the world is in, any kind, most notably spiritual slavery. He moves oppressed, slaved people to something, and that is freedom, freedom in him, freedom to worship him, freedom to enjoy him forever, freedom to be witnesses in the world of him. Okay, and then we see God's plan to make all that happen. Guess what? God said to Moses, are you ready to know the plan? You are that plan. You are the plan. I am sending you to bring my people to freedom. And God is ascending God. He calls and he sends his people. Which ones? All of them. All of us. He is calling you. His calling to you is personal. It involves your household. It involves your school. It involves your neighborhood. It involves your workplace. To, for you to bring truth, for you to bring grace, good works that he's prepared for us to do, Ephesians 10, to bring justice, to bring care for the needy and the hurting and comfort. And in all of that, the good news of the freedom that we receive only through faith in Jesus Christ He's raising up his deliverers. It's you and it's me. And this is our calling to bring all this to the world wherever we go in the way that only you can do. He's calling you. And next in our text, by God's grace, we see exactly how to respond to God's calling and how not to respond to God's calling. How and how not to respond to God's calling. Here we go. Moses had received his calling, and guess what he does next? Does he jump right up and say, all right, I'm ready. Let's go do it. No. Nope, not at all. He makes excuses. And guess what? We make excuses too. And we're going to see that, and we're going to see how God feels about that and how he interacts with us as we do. Moses makes five excuses. But God is going to show Moses and us that he is in control and he is enough. And I, I just find this passage so encouraging and so real and so relevant to all of us right now. I think you'll find this way too. So let's connect with this exchange between Moses and God. And as we look at Moses and his five escalating excuses. Number one is, I lack credentials, qualifications. Let's look at that. Verses 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, 
Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt, children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses says, God, have you considered my resume? Uh, I've been a shepherd for 40 years. Um, Go confront Pharaoh and lead three million people? That's outside my resume. So often we don't feel qualified or ready or worthy to do what God is asking of us. Notice God's response. He gives two promises. The first is, I will be with you. And he said that to people all throughout the Bible. And he said it to us, too. That's right in Jesus' great commission, right after that verse, where he tells all of us to go make disciples of all nations. And what's the next thing he says? Jesus says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And so we have that promise from God. And then God gave Moses a personal promise, a sign that you will know all this when you bring the people out of slavery, you're going to come back to this very mountain. And I just want to say that it's okay to pray and have this conversation with God. And it's okay to ask for a sign. It's okay to look for the purpose. It's okay to want to know why. That's all good. And at this, at this point, Moses, I don't think, has crossed the line into sin. I think he's asking good questions here that we can relate to. But the seeds of doubt and disbelief are in him. And they're going to grow. And so we have the next excuse. And that is, I lack knowledge. I don't know everything I, I need to know. Moses' next big question is, what shall I say? Who shall I tell them sent me? Obviously, I heard a voice in a bush isn't going to cut it. Go ahead and try that this week at work. I'm on a mission from a bush. Uh, that's not going to work. Okay, so another fair question. Let's see what happens here. Verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is awesome. What an awesome response God gives Moses here. First, God told Moses his name. And it's from this, I am, where we get God's personal name, Yahweh. God has a personal name, and this is it right here, he claims. Now, we call him God, but this is his personal name, I am. It's a continuous form of the verb to be. God had no beginning. He is the one who brings everything else into existence. He is the one, the most important thing to everything. He is central in everything. God is central to your life. God is central to your marriage. He's central to all the work that you do and the play that you do, to your plans and to your calling. I am. We're meeting God. Second, in in the verses up through verse 22 then, God gave Moses the knowledge that he was seeking, the knowledge of what to say and, and what would happen. Just summarizing this, God said, gather the elders of Israel. This is the first step in the plan. The elders of Israel, gather them and say to them, the Lord has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. God said to Moses, 
God is preparing Moses here. He's training him. He's equipping him. He's preparing Moses for his calling as a prophet. That will be his calling. And God does the same for you and me. You are learning in the course of your life what it means to be a... you got to fill in the blank. I can't do it for you. What is your calling? What's God preparing for you right now in the course of your life, everything you're going through, to do for him in the future? He prepares us every single day. He's doing it. He does so with Moses here, but Moses isn't quite ready yet. We come to excuse number three. I lack confidence. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. We'll start with verse 1. When Moses answered, but, but, there's a lot of buts here, aren't there? But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. God had just told Moses, they will believe you. And his response was, but they will not believe me. Moses is starting to break down and get a little whiny here. And he's crossing the line. He's crossing the line into some wrong here. They will not believe me. They will not listen to me, even though you just said they would. He lacks trust in God. He He lacks confidence in God. Now, is God worthy of our trust? Let me ask that again. Is God worthy of our trust? Yes, he is entirely worthy. But can we relate to Moses? Of course we can. Which is why the Bible is here to speak to you today, right now. Let's see God's response. God's response is gracious. He graciously provides Moses with three signs of his power over things God's power over creation, God's power over people, and God's power over nature. He's going to demonstrate this for us right now through Moses. Look with me at verses two through nine. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and That water you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. He wants us to know his power and be assured of it and be completely trusting in him. So he gave Moses these three signs. Why these three in particular? First, because the staff and the snake were Egyptian symbols of power and life, and God is over those. The leprous hand highlights God's power over fear of sickness. God is over our fear of sickness. We need that assurance today. Turning water from the Nile River, which was worshipped by the Egyptians, into blood shows God's power over their gods. 
We can trust God. And God will give us signs when we pray as he sees fit that will fit our circumstances. He will. And so pray, Lord, give me eyes to see this in my own life. And he will. This is what he's teaching us. But Moses isn't quite there yet. Excuse number four. I lack skills. Verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses might have had a speech impediment or he might have just been slow in processing, might not have had the gift of gab. Uh, Either way, he brings up this objection a few times. He's not done with this one. He'll bring it up again later. But I find this really interesting. We've all heard testimonies of, of some Christian speakers that admit the same thing, and I can relate to this. Growing up, I I did not have the the smoothest speech. And I got into sales in college and out of college, and I was always blown away and maybe a little bit envious of the uh, salespeople with the smooth speech and the gift of gab. But you know what I had to rely on? Hard work. And so the lack of that gift developed a work ethic in me, and I was successful, and it shaped me and developed me. God used that. And by God's irony and humor, now I speak for a living. And that's just what he does. Be ready for him to use you the way that he wants to. God claims the power that only he has here in this. And we get to learn from this, from Moses' exchange and from what he's doing in your life. I hope maybe you share this with people in your small group or people that that look up to you. Let's see what he does here. He proclaims in verses 11 and 12, Then the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? It is I, the Lord. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. What we must learn from this is this right here, and you can write it down if this is new to you, that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Got that? God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And this we can rest in and trust in. It's exactly what he did with this reluctant shepherd, Moses, to do great things. Well, Moses' final excuse, I lack commitment. And this excuse wasn't so much an excuse as it was a final begging from God to give that responsibility to someone else. Verse 13, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. So when the going gets tough, we pass the going to someone else. Is that right? No, don't do this, brothers and sisters. You know what God's calling you to do? Don't abdicate your responsibility. Men, you have responsibility that God has given you. Don't abdicate that and give it to someone else. Women, the same thing. Kids, same thing. God has given you the responsibility for things. Friends, be that godly friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs says. Faithful friend, he's called you for that. Leaders, Don't give that leadership, that hard conflict you have to have, or whatever the the tough parts of leadership is, whatever you're leading, over to someone else. God's given you that responsibility. We learn this from Moses. 
Now think about Moses' calling. His calling was massive to confront Pharaoh and lead three million people. He knew that Egypt was powerful. He just hadn't grasped how powerful God was yet. But he is. He's getting there. And we get there too. And we need to because once you grasp God's power, then you have everything it takes to accomplish everything he's given you to do. So God's response here, we learn from God's response that his patience does come to an end. He is a long-suffering God, but righteously his patience will come to an end. And yet he remains gracious. Let's see verses 14 through 17, how God responds to this. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be with your mouth." And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. And on they go. Now God was angry. His patience comes to an end. But he's gracious too. So he gave Moses the help that Moses requested. Partnership with Aaron. And they're going to be partners and co-speakers through a lot of ups and downs that are to come. We, like Moses and Aaron, we have a calling in our lives right now, wherever you go this week. You have a role in moving the world to freedom in Christ. I want to call up someone special to Community Grace right now to share her story, because stories are helpful and encouraging. Her story about God's calling in her life to become, as of four weeks ago, our church's new children's ministry director. Would you welcome Heather Faust up to share her story? Well, good morning. Uh, as Reg said, I'm, I'm Heather, and it has been such a joy uh, to, to step into this role. It's, it's been so fun. Um, I, I started going to Community Grace when I was a sophomore at Grace College and uh, started serving in children's ministry then. Um, and since then, I, I married my best friend, Brian, and we have three girls, and um, they, they range from nursery age up to first grade. Uh, so Pastor Reg had asked me if I would share a little bit of the story of, of what brought me uh, to, to kind of where I am um, and, um, and just the calling God has for my life. So I just want to kind of start it uh, when I was a senior in high school. Um, and uh, that year, I went to Operation Barnabas. If you haven't heard of that, um, it's, it's just a really good discipleship program and evangelism. Um, so we were, uh, I was at home and, uh, one night, and I just really felt like God was calling me to a place where um, I basically surrender. Um, I, I had uh, some money in, I was ready to go, had a plan to go, go to Grace, um, and, and just felt like God was saying, uh, are you willing to, to give this up? Are you willing to uh, not go if I asked you to go right now? Okay. Um, and, and then what about, you know, getting, getting married? I know you, you would really love to get married one day. What if I call you to a life of singleness? Are, are you willing to do that for me? 
Um, and in, in both of those things, you know, God called me to a place of just opening my hands and saying, yes, yes, I, I surrender. I'm, I'm willing to do whatever, whatever you call me to do. Um, and, uh, and that place of surrender um, helped me to, to get to a spot where I just had such peace and joy and, and God gave back uh, the, those things that I was willing to give up. And uh, again and again in life, uh, there's been times where there's been crossroads where I have to decide, am I going to walk God's path or, or my own? Um, in adult life, it's, uh, it's taken unexpected turns. Like, I, I loved being in, in the workforce. Um, I was a child caseworker uh, at Bowen Center, and, um, and I, I just really felt like God wanted me to be a stay-at-home mom, uh, later a babysitter, uh, after that a homeschool mom. The, these were things that weren't really, uh, especially homeschooling, wasn't on my mind to do, but, but God used those things to just, like, keep directing my heart towards home and to my family and, uh, and just really uh, growing me through it. Um, there, there's also just one more part of the story before, like, kind of taking on this role uh, was just a period of waiting. Um, I, there were several years where uh, I, I just really wanted to be in a position like this, um, and, uh, and, and I was waiting for uh, that to, to kind of open up. Um, and, and God doesn't waste waiting. He, he just doesn't. Uh, he, he uses it as preparation. And uh, it was so funny to me looking back um, because just a, a few months before I interviewed uh, for the position of children's ministry director, um, I, I had kind of accidentally stumbled into uh, leadership over the hospitality, uh, for hospitality teams here. And, uh, and God used that to, to equip me to, to lead adults for the first time and volunteers so that now uh, being a place where uh, there's just so many um, amazing teachers and, and staff that I'm leading that uh, God had prepared the way for me to do that. Um, so, so my challenge uh, would be, you know, as maybe you've been listening to, to Reg the past few weeks, uh, maybe God is, is calling you to, to do something. Um, man, be, be obedient, uh, because sometimes it is an unexpected ride, but there, there's so much joy in it. Um, and, and also, just uh, some of you um, may have gotten, saw the email or uh, heard um, that uh, our children's ministry, it, it just keeps growing. We've, we've been blessed with some really sweet new families and, and families that have just faithfully gone, uh, come here for so many years. And, uh, and we just outgrown our rooms upstairs. So in the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be in, uh, in different classrooms that are a little bit larger, more accommodating for the kids and welcoming. And uh, that, that staircase where it's a little smushed right now, um, that, that'll be a little bit different in the, the near future too. So just keep an eye out for those things. Um, but whatever, um, whatever God has for you, whether it's in kids' ministry or if God is calling you to a totally different way uh, to serve, um, be obedient because, uh, man, it, it's, it's a joy to be um, in the place where God calls you to be. Amen, amen. Thanks, Heather. <clears throat> All right, just like St. Valentine, just like Moses, just like Heather, God has a calling in your life. And uh, I'd love to hear all of your stories and talk about these. That's, we'll have eternity in heaven to talk all, you know, all about our stories and look back. Um, if you need counsel, guidance along the way, let's do it. And uh, let, me, let me end right here with the way chapter 4 ends, the way our text ends, is with how to get started. How to get started to that next step. How to start with God on the journey. The closing of chapter 4 launches several different aspects 
uh, several different topics that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time developing those today, things like why did God harden Pharaoh's heart, what do you make of that, those kind of things. We'll, we'll dive into those much further as we get into the book. But for today, I just want to focus on what it says about how to get started. In verses 18 through 20, Moses takes some needed next steps. He tells family about how God has moved in his heart. He gets his relationships in line and his business ready. He gets ready for a change in life direction. Then he sets out, as God instructed, heading back to Egypt with his wife in one hand and the staff of God in the other hand. And on they go. And then we come to verses 24 through 26, which seem to be very strange and confusing. And I want to spend a moment on this today as, before we close because it's an, it's, an, it's an important part of our starting our journey with God and because it's important to figure out what in the world is going on with this. All right, so as we come to verse 24, Yahweh wants to kill Moses all of a sudden. Now, this is, seems sudden in the text, but Moses inserts it here in his writing because it gives us an important caution against disobeying God in his calling to us. Let's read these verses and see what happens. Verses 24 through 26. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And so he let him alone. God let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What in the world is going on here? Here's what it is. After a little bit of study, here's what you find out. That Moses had disobeyed God's command to circumcise his firstborn son. That was a command given in, back in Genesis 17. And Moses had not done that. Okay, and disobedience leads to bad consequences. God was considering to strike him dead because of this. In verse 24, Zipporah's gesture was an act of repentance on Moses' behalf. It's good to have good partners, isn't it? But here's the key. Before going out on your calling, thinking everything's going to be great because I'm following God's calling for my life, now is the time for us to deal with things that are in our lives that are sinful. Now is the time to examine our hearts to make sure that there's no sin that we're not dealing with. If there is, we might face consequences for it and miss out on God's calling for our lives. So, right in this moment, see if there be any sin in me. Pray for God to reveal that and deal with it. And Moses stopped and took the opportunity to do that right now and then continued on his way to Egypt. Now, I want to end this message with, on a high note because that's what chapter 4 does. It ends on a high note today. So here's what's happening. After that, he's back in, you know, 1 John 1, 9 is an important verse here. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all sins and cleanse us of all righteousness. And Moses took advantage of that grace, and we can too. At any time, we cannot out-sin God's grace. All right, we can't exhaust his grace. You confess it, you really do business with it, and you're back on track. So Moses is back on track, and he's heading into the Egyptian borderline with Aaron, with his wife, and you can imagine them sneaking into the country, looking for the leaders of the Israelites to get together with, just like God told him to. Now, this is a picture of that border today. So you can kind of see, you know, this is a kind of a scary journey to sneak back into Egypt. 
But that's what they did. They made it. Moses was nervous, of course, just like we would be. But it went great. He found them. He connected with them, probably, you know, hidden someplace in the night. He met with the elders of Israel, and it went without a hitch because that was God's plan, and he was following it. They did the signs that God told them to do. They spoke the words just exactly as God told him to. And then look at the final verse, verse 31. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that they, he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. It was success. The people heard Moses and they knew God had heard their prayers. They knew that God had called Moses and Aaron and they responded correctly. They bowed their heads and worshiped. This just leaves us with one step for today, for this week. And that is this. Ask God, what is my calling now? What is my calling now? I'm going to give you a little bit of guidance to figure that out. We find ourselves asking this question from time to time in our lives. First of all, you and I share the same mission if Jesus has saved you with his sacrifice and you've trusted him and receive salvation for your sins and eternal life, a new life, new purpose. We have the same mission. It is to make disciples. It is to tell the world about Jesus who hasn't heard it and then to walk with each other, brothers and sisters, to maturity in Christ. That's our main mission. But that looks different for all of us. It looks different for all of us. So ask God and evaluate his answers. What is my calling right now? And here's how God speaks to us. You can listen to God. He speaks through our prayers like he did with Moses. He speaks through his word, primarily. Be in it every day. He speaks through godly counsel, and he speaks through our experience as we start serving so we can evaluate how is it going. Is this my calling? That's how God speaks to us, and God gives grace to us along the way for the calling. God gave me the shoulders to bear the weight of being a pastor, and I'm enjoying doing it. That's God's calling for me. But I can't do the things that he's called you to do, to be the influence that I can't, you know, your friends at school aren't going to listen to me like they would listen to you or at work or in your neighborhoods. I can't love and care for your family like you can. Whatever it is, whatever it is, seek him and he answers and then get started. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this wisdom and relationship that you have with us and that you want to have with us if we would just turn our hearts toward you. I pray that for every single person here, that your Holy Spirit will work very clearly in their lives right now with what they should do next. Not that we'll rush it like Americans do, but that we'll enjoy the process, that we'll be obedient, that we'll trust you as you deportive and that shares our bowing down and worshiping you. And in this case, we're going to stand up and sing and worship to you. And I thank you for that. Have your way with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.